Welcome to the Sword in the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for joining us here at the Sword in the Trowel today. Thank you to our fam members, those who support us monthly. Uh, we are so grateful for you as you help us to build and fight. If you're not a fan member but want to know what it means to become a Founders Alliance church member or a Founders Alliance member, go to founders.org, click on Give. You can figure out uh, what it means to join us in the work that we're engaged in. And also, go check out the documentary that uh, Founders is producing. We're trying to address some of the things going on today in our culture and our churches and call attention to it and recognize that we must take a stand against some of these godless ideologies that mm. seem to be flowing in from all quarters. That doc's going to be so good. I can't wait for that thing. Uh, when we get into our first segment here, we are wanting to talk about the recent uh, Democratic debate. There were 20 Democratic presidential candidates, two nights, 10 apiece. How'd you feel about it? Yeah, well, it was in Miami, just right across Alligator Alley from uh, you and me. And I watched about... And there was some Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> there was. I, th I think they were vying Hola, for who, who could speak Spanish first. Uh, I watched about half the first one and about three quarters of the second one. And it was alarming. I think the, the overwhelming thing, I laughed a lot, but it was alarming because these are serious people advocating a serious uh, run for a serious position. And I came away with the thought, one of these men or women could well be president of the United States in my lifetime. And that's frightening to me because if any one of them, any one of the 20 were to be elected president, uh, there would be much havoc wreaked morally upon our land based mm. on what they were saying. Strong language. Some people would say maybe too strong. So why not too strong? Why is no, it such it's a big not deal? too strong. Well, just if you just take them at their word and what they advocated doing, everything's going to be free. You know, everybody's going to have uh, free education, free med medical care, free access to the coming into the nation, you know, the, uh, becoming uh, coming here illegally will be decriminalized. So it'll be a civil issue. I mean, can you imagine a survey was done recently where I think it was determined over a billion people in the world would love to come to America and live. And, and if we just say, okay, you know, come on, it's not, it's not a legal issue anymore, just a civil matter, that's crazy. But then most significant to me is abortion. Every one of these men and women advocate strongly for abortion. And the, the whole Democratic platform is built, has several planks built upon the advocacy of abortion. So if any of these guys get elected, then you can be sure that Roe v. Wade will continue to be promoted. Yeah, I heard recently that we need we have to kind of keep our eye on the ball when we're thinking about different um, political parties. And somebody was talking about the the Whig Party and the Tory Party and how it switched over time. You know, the the, the positions in these different parties, political parties, can switch. And so we need to do that with the Democratic party as we're thinking about changes that mm -hmm. are happening. I saw a number of articles that said there was a lurch to the left uh, that was evident from watching this Democratic candidate uh, debate. And it appears to be that way. You're getting to the point now where abortion is so associated with the Democratic Party that it's becoming very difficult for Christians to go that route. Yeah, I've heard, uh, I've talked to a couple of Christian friends recently who have said, you know, look, you can be a Christian and vote for Republican or, or Democrat or otherwise, and that shouldn't be an issue. But one of them said to me, who's very, very thoughtful, I'm not sure I can say any longer that you can be a, a thoughtful Christian conscientiously and vote for a Democratic candidate. 
And that was a big statement for him to make based mm -hmm. upon public things that he said over the last several years. And I'm there as well. I, I think a conscientious, thoughtful Christian uh, cannot, should not vote for anyone who stands on the Democratic platform that does indeed, without equivocation, advocate abortion. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I would counsel a person that way. What would you do? And what would you do in the church if uh, somebody said, hey, I'm thinking about voting for this Democratic candidate because I like his policies on these issues? Yeah, well, you got to face up to, you know, the position that that candidate holds. So people say I'm not a I'm not a one issue uh, voter. Mm -hmm. And the, the problem is you just have to deal with what the issue is. It's the murder of a baby. Yeah. So, yeah, I have no problem saying you if if the person that you're wanting to elect to the highest office in the land is for the murder of of babies then you have a serious problem you've got to reassess how you're thinking about morality how you're thinking about our society and that is that is um not a position that you can actually hold and be faithful to what god's revealed to us in his word what do you think about pastors uh addressing these issues to their congregations not just about abortion being immoral mm -hmm. but about the democratic platform or any any political party's platform that advocates for this yeah. you think that's fair game for pastors to try to educate their congregations on yeah well it's, it would it would make sense that we would want to take people's platforms seriously and i'm sure that there are Bots at which a person's going to say, well, I don't hold that part of the platform or I'm not where this platform mm -hmm. states. But nevertheless, it's the platform upon which the person stands. And so we should, if we're going to be honest people, we've got to look at it, take it into account. I don't think that um, politics is off limits for pastors. Jesus Christ is king over the whole world, and therefore every single thing that, uh, that we deal with in life is under the lordship of Christ. There are certainly um, aspects of our lives that are so uh, particular that, you know, you get into the business of, I'm not going to tell a person whether they should, you know, go on a diet, not eat, mm -hmm. not eat gluten or, you know. Um, but when you're talking about electing an official, the civil magistrate, and you're talking about the issue of abortion, this is something that not only can pastors speak to, but I think they have to speak to. Yeah, and I, we do have some evangelical leaders that speak out pretty loudly about these things, but there are others that just seem to be very muted when it comes to the particulars. Now, abortion's wrong, absolutely, we're pro-life, need to be pro-life, but then looking at this uh, clear platform from one major political party, refusing to draw the connection. Mm -hmm. This party advocates what we know to be clearly wrong. Right. And we need to be doing that. We need to be willing to do that. Yeah, it's abortion at 10,000 feet. Yeah. So I say I'm, I say I'm against abortion and, um, and praise God for that. You know, thank the Lord that people are saying that. And I know Christians, even in our own denomination, haven't said that in, in the past. But you do have to get practical with it. You have to say, what are the implications of my position that abortion is sinful and mm -hmm. that it's the taking of human life? Well, that means down to the practical level, you know, once I'm dealing with with civil authorities that say they're for that, how can I say, you, you, I mean, this is just, this isn't really hard stuff. You've got to take what you believe and you've got to apply it in the real world. Yeah, what would you, what would you say if... Uh Somebody in the congregation became politically involved in the campaign of a candidate on a national level who stood on a platform that advocated abortion. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, what are you doing? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean a, if, if they just said, I think there's good reasons to do this, and yeah, I know I'm not a, I'm not for abortion personally. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, a lot of this has to do with kind of a New Testament where. Paul talks about, you know, I told you not to associate with people that are sexually immoral, not at all meaning the people of this world, for then mm-hmm. you'd have to go out of the world. I mean, I'm, I was talking about people in the church that are sexually immoral and a list of other things. Don't associate with them. Well, then you play that out and say, okay, well, that means that if I'm going to go down the store and I'm going to buy a Snickers bar at a convenience store and, you know, the guy that I'm buying the Snickers bar for is pro-abortion and he's got pornography behind the counter, um, well, I can buy the Snickers bar because I'm not participating with him directly in the cell or uh, enjoyment of that pornography or in the murder of the unborn but when it comes that I'm actually partnering with someone in the evil that he or she <laughs> is doing so I would say if you're a builder then you can't build the um, house of indecency mm-hmm. down the street right you can't you can't help that person in that work well what are you doing if you're advocating for a civil magistrate who's going to ensure that it's legal that babies are murdered yeah you, that you're you're not just associating with people that are doing uh, wicked things and working with them in the world you're actually working with them on the very wicked thing that they're trying to do yeah i, I think christians need to be educated on this i think if a lot of christians would just go and read the democratic party's platform and, or just search for the word abortion on that platform that eyes would be open and they'd realize that what we're dealing with here is a, a forceful ideology i mean these are true believers that abortion is something that ought to be done so you can do you can do that at democrats.org democrats.org look at their platform read it and vote accordingly good word hey when we come back we're going to be talking about a book that uh we have both profited by uh dr albert moeller the conviction to lead he gives 25 principles for leadership that matters i want to invite you to the upcoming southeast regional founders conference in cape coral florida it's scheduled for december the 5th through the 7th and grace baptist church will be hosting it again this year the theme is going to be the law and the gospel and dr tom nettles dr tom hicks and Dr. Jared Longshore will be joining me as we try to set forth exegetically, theologically, pastorally, and practically this vitally important subject. In generations past, it was not uncommon to find within the Protestant Reformed heritage those who recognized the significance of this theme to the degree that they would say a man was not really prepared to be a pastor if he didn't understand the relationship between law and gospel, their distinctions, and the way that they support one another. One of the things that's forgotten in our day is that the God who gave us the gospel also gave us the law. And God loves his law as much as he loves his gospel. And Jesus Christ, who came and revealed to us salvation and has given us the gospel by his life, death, and resurrection, came and magnified the law. So mark your calendars and plan to join us in sunny southwest Florida in December, the 5th through the 7th, for this Southeastern Regional Founders Conference. Registration will be forthcoming, so check check us out at founders.org for more information. Welcome back to The Sword and Trial. In this segment, we want to talk about a book that has been uh, impactful on both of us. It's written by Al Moeller, 
R. Albert Moeller Jr. is the way that he formally goes by. And it's 25 Principles for Leadership That Matters. The title of it is The Conviction to Lead. Uh, Al wrote this book back in 2012. He has been the uh, very successful president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary uh, for decades now. And this book, I think, is the best thing that I've ever read from Al Moeller. Mm -hmm. when, when I read it, I bought multiple copies and gave them away. And Al's written a lot. He's talked a lot. Uh, he words are what he produces uh, multiple times a day, every day for almost every day of the year for public consumption. And yet in this, I think he's distilled a lot of his thinking in practical areas for Christian leaders. And all of us are going to be leading in some capacity at some time. So I can commend this book to everybody. Yeah, it's a good book. Um, He's got this uh, section on convictional intelligence. Mm -hmm. I thought this was a very helpful um, chapter where he says, you know, convictional intelligence starts with knowledge. You've got to have this knowledge, uh, but really you have to develop from that knowledge even, even more kind of a, a rhythm of life. He talks about having uh, habits. We're creatures of habit. So you're, you're taking um, truth and then you're beginning to operate as a leader upon that truth in a in a habitual way mm. so you get kind of there's this progress of good things that are happening the whole the whole um focus that i seem to gather from this book was that when you're leading you you have to be leading upon principle you have to yeah. be leading upon truth and so much of the leadership that we experience today is kind of you know put your finger up to the wind see which way the weather vanes are blowing and then you you know, okay, hey, we're going to go this direction, but this says no. We're going to have, we're going to operate upon the basis of Scripture. Yeah, uh, running throughout the book is this whole idea that truth exists, truth matters, and that Christian leaders need to be driven by truth. Uh, one of the statements that's found on page twenty-three, he's he's talking about Christian convictions. Every Christian needs to have them, hold them deeply. But he says these same beliefs, these convictions, are the convictions that do not allow Christian leaders to be silent today, even in the face of threats and opposition. And man, that's a needed word for us. If what we believe is true, and if we teach this as truth, when those truths are being undermined or assaulted, it doesn't matter how strong the opposition, we must stand on them and proclaim them and not be moved off of them. That's mm -hmm. just, that's what leadership entails. Right. Uh, the leader leaders are thinkers section of this book was very mm -hmm. helpful to me too. I remember I went to Southern Seminary and so boy we got a had a wonderful library there on campus full of books you know and I'm thinking you know I was there for many years and there's still I only skimmed the surface of what's available to actually uh, <clears throat> dig down and study well and I found uh, after over a decade of ministry and kind of raising my family, I've still got to access good resources. Mm. When I stop reading, things kind of, you know, I just fall into the pattern of, okay, this is how I, you know, I've, I've done things. But the new insights and conceptualizing things in fresh ways that are still based upon the truth, uh, hearing other thoughts, all of those books just kind of well down together, you know. So yeah. that's a that's a good discipline because often leaders have a lot of meetings. You have a lot of conversations with people. You got to be up in front of people teaching, whatever it may be, but you've got to have that back door where new fresh insights are coming in. Yeah. Place. Readers are, are leaders are readers. And he has a, I think a separate chapter on that too. Let me give you a couple of quotes that have stood out to me that I've written down. It says life is too short to give much attention to leaders who stand for little or nothing. 
leaders who are looking for the next program or riding the latest leadership fad, trying on idea after idea, but driven by no deep convictions. Mm -hmm. In other words, don't follow uh, those guys. He says the passionate leader is driven by the knowledge that the right beliefs aimed at the right opportunity can lead to earth-shaking changes. Mm. And if we believe that, then we're going to be willing to take the risks that go with leadership. Very good. Hey, well, this is a great book. If you haven't read it, go get it. The Conviction to Lead, Albert Moeller, 25 Principles for Leadership That Matters. When we come back in our third segment, we're going to be talking about the law of God, considering what it means to love your enemies. Founders Ministries held its first conference in 1983. Since that time, we've expanded the ministry to produce books and journals and have regional conferences and fraternals to have a study center. Uh, we've done multiple things here in the United States and around the world to seek the recovery of the gospel of God's grace and the reformation of local churches. Our desire has always been to facilitate healthy church living. We want to resource pastors and church leaders. We couldn't have done that without financial supporters through the years. We've never made a big deal about financial support. We've never made great appeals for financial support, but we do need financial resources to do the things that we are doing. We are grateful for those who stood with us, and we would be delighted to have you come and join us in this ongoing fight to see the gospel of Jesus Christ maintain its pride of place in Christian thinking and in our Christian churches. Uh, we've established this new way of giving called the Founders Alliance Membership. I invite you to become a part of the FAM with us. There are different levels at which you can give to become a monthly supporter, or if you just like to make a one-time gift. We would welcome that as well. Uh, there's a big fight in front of us. We have a great concern that is arising among our churches and within the Southern Baptist Convention and beyond. And we would be delighted to have you stand with us, to unite with us, to join arms with us in this fight. Now, thanks for your support. Pray for us. If the Lord enables you to invest financially in this ministry, we would welcome that. Welcome back to The Sword and the Trowel here in the third segment. We like to consider the law of God. We do that purposefully. We do that um, because um, the law, uh, while it is not that by which we are saved through keeping, um, it is the standard for our lives. As Paul says in the New Testament, uh, we've been saved by grace, and so do we abolish the law? By no means we uphold the law. And so we want to know how to live. And Jesus tells us, not only to love other people, but he tells us to love our enemies. He does this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44. Here's what God's word says. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And isn't it fascinating how he grounds it? Uh, you do this, you'll be sons of your father. That means that the Father is the one who loves his enemies. He causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. Mm. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, the text goes on to say, and so we should love our enemies too. Yeah, we should. You know, it reminds me of that little ditty, to dwell above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with those we know, that's a different story. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's an old hymn right there, huh? That's right. You can, we, you can sing that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's loving people is not natural to us anyway because we turn in on ourselves and we just want to love ourselves and serve ourselves and so loving others is something that uh, requires God's work in our lives either through common grace or uh, with special grace that enables us to love as he loves mm -hmm. but to love enemies to love enemies and he says that he prefaces this in the Sermon on the Mount with you've heard it said 
that you are to uh, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. And so there was a rabbinic stream of teaching that came down that way. You know, it's okay to hate your enemies, but Jesus says, no, love your enemies. So people who are opposed to you, people who would do you in, people who would want to end your life, what do we owe them? We owe them love. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a, that's a whole nother ball game. There's something supernatural that's being required of us right. here. seems that uh, I'm able to do this best, most, when I'm remembering uh, the great love that God my Father has for me in Christ. Mm-hmm. And this is what he did for me. I was separated. I was in my sin. Uh, I was hostile in mind, and yet he's given me everything that I need. He's given me salvation. If this is true... How in the world can I look at somebody else yeah. and say, and say, oh, yeah, you know, but he's worse? No, I'm with Paul. I'm the chief of sinners. And so then that's kind of the, the, the Spirit's power in us as we lay hold of God's promises by faith. But, but then um, loving enemies systematically, like loving them tangibly. Mm-hmm. This isn't just about like having good feelings about our enemies, but it's about actually doing them some good, this love of benevolence, yeah. which requires wisdom. It means I need to think about um, what is going to be good for them. God sends the sun and the rain. He knows what's good for them. Right. And I need to try to do the same kind of thing and, and then see the connections of me doing that in the work that God has called me to do in this world. So what, what kind of vocation do I have? I want to do my work with excellence. I want to do my work in a timely way. I want to do my work in a spirit of gratitude to my employer if I have one or in benevolence toward employees that are under me. And even as I'm doing that, boy, think about all the people I could impact, people that would stand against me, things that I believe they might not believe or things that I do that they might not like. But these very tangible ways and not just having it be kind of a warm, fuzzy kind of love. Yeah, that ties into what Jesus says to slaves uh, in his letters to uh, Paul's letters to Ephesus and Colossae and what Peter says. Even when they mistreat you, you, you are to serve as to the Lord. And so that's a that's a display of love to people who would be your enemy in some way. So how do we best love our enemies? Well, ultimately, what is needed for everyone, what the greatest thing we could do for anyone is introduce them to Jesus. If we could help them to come to see the gospel, believe the gospel, be reconciled to God, that's the greatest display of love. So we ought to love those who oppose us with a sense that they need what God's grace in Christ provides, what God's given us. And what, what you said earlier is exactly right. Uh, it's while we were sinners that Christ died for us. That's how he displays his love for us. Mm. So if that's true, we remember that, then we can certainly fight for, pray for, trust the Lord to work in us to love our enemies as well. Amen. Amen. Well, may God help us to do just that. Thanks for listening to us here at The Sword and the Trowel. We want to let you know we have a conference coming up, the Southeast Founders Regional Conference here in Cape Coral, Florida at Grace Baptist Church. It's coming up in December. Go to founders.org. You can find out information about that. Mark your calendar for it. We would love for you to join us. We'll see you then.